From KVCR in San Bernardino, this is KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. As of this airing, KVC Arts has moved from being a one-hour show heard twice a week to a half-hour show heard three times a week. We are kicking off the new format in conversation with Joe DiFiore. You may catch him playing with Eva and the Vagabond Tales from time to time. At the end of summer 2020, he released Out of the Woods, a blend of classical and contemporary instrumental works, several of his own composition. We are starting off with one of them, the title cut, Out of the Woods. We're hearing the title track to Out of the Woods and now joined by Joe DiFiore. And I want to read a wonderful quote. This opens up the CD. Sometimes we want to escape from reality. Sometimes we want someone to feel our pain. Whether you feel anxious or sad, optimistic or relaxed, there's something in this album for you. Is this what you wanted to present something for you, no matter what it is you're feeling? Or was it a case of having the album together listening back to what you had and realizing that's what's there. I'm trying to remember if it's specifically intentional, but largely when I write, it's kind of a therapeutic, almost kind of autobiographical. It's more so a reflection of my personal feelings of that sometimes I can be sad, sometimes I can be more, as you said, kind of an escape from reality sometimes too. So I think it's more reflective and I would say probably toward the greater human nature that we do often have these kind of contrasting emotions at times too. Wonderful. And it really does go all over the map as far as a range of emotions or really like any great compositions, you'll have several movements that take you up or down or whatever the case is. There's a much better Italian name than it up or down. But (laughs) anyway, so was the tune itself out of the woods, was it written to be the opener for the disc? because most of the selections that you've included would be excellent opening tracks. Actually, it wasn't because, interestingly enough, this was the last song I wrote out of the whole album. And it was one that probably took me the longest. It was a piece I wrote when I was on tour with the Glenn Miller Orchestra in Australia in the summer or fall of 2019. Hmm. And it was one of the things that just took me forever to write. But funny enough, when I finished it, something about it just felt right to me. I also had a hard time coming up with the title of it. It was like something woods I wanted. I thought of Through the Woods. But I kind of scrapped that because I have already have enough compositions that are called through something. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I've got to gotta come up with something different here. So I should come up with Out of the Woods. It was just something to me. It was not really much other than just a gut feeling. I just wanted it to be called Out of the Woods for the rest of the album. 
you know, I also want to think of it as like a film, like or any kind of story when you see the introduction of the characters. Mm -hmm. So it was something about the piano beginning and the flute line being very melodic and slightly slow that it felt like a good sort of introduction into what kind of music you might expect to a degree. As you know, there's kind of slight tempo changes that kind of go on. Sometimes it's a little more upbeat. Sometimes it's very somber and lamentful. So to me, that just felt right, kind of matched. It was a good introduction into what kind of expect for the album. Going on to one of the pieces that you did not write, and this is an Aaron Copeland composition. This is duo for flute and piano and the movements one, two, and three. Something that I wanted to ask about really is that on the titles themselves, they sort of have a subtitle of flowing, and then the second movement, somewhat mournful, and then the third movement, with bounce. Now, are these actually titled that way? Because they feel like the little parenthetical thing that you'll see up at the top of sheet music, where it's just, play with gusto. Did Copeland put this there? Did somebody else put this there? And then... So, yes, he did on the title. Where mm. If you look at the sheet music, it says specifically, one, flowing. It's funny, and you're right, too, that usually in certain music, you would see the tempo, and then you see some sort of descriptor next yeah. to it. But this, he just put a sort of descriptor within the title of itself. So these are actually titled One Flowing. Yes. And two, somewhat mournful. Okay, it's actually, wow. That's, yeah, funny, that's isn't really it? Actually, that's really, really funny. Yeah, I think it also kind of goes to demonstrate the importance of how he wants these kind of pieces to be, too, where you can feel in these pieces, too, that it is, movement one is very flowing. It gives mm -hmm. you this feeling of this kind of wide open space that is very ambivalent of Aaron Copeland's writing mm -hmm. of, of itself, where you feel like you're in kind of like the Grand Canyon or something in a way, yeah. you know. And same with the other two, too. So it really matches the way that I nice. communicate in the piece. And again, I have to call attention to the liner notes for folks who pick up this. Check out the liner notes, because at the end of this, there's this long, wonderful description. And then at the end, it's and it's just fun to play something that's bouncy. I paraphrased, but it's just, yeah. it's funny. It just cracked me up. We mentioned this is available on vinyl as well as CD, which leads us to look quickly at joedefiore.com. This warrants a spelling, J-O-E-D-I-F-I-O-R-E.com. Talk to us about what we can find there. So you can find any kind of music you can find. As I said, the vinyl on the website, you can find a physical CD if that's what you like. Those of you that are musicians and want to play, you could also find the sheet music of some of my pieces on there as mm -hmm. well. And you can go to the YouTube page for you as well. There's a link there. That's right. It's pretty much all of my content. Maybe just my album. Like I said, like my YouTube channel, I have many different sections of where I do a lot of what you call like remote recording or studio home recording too, that I give many examples of that and kind of show people how that works. Do you keep it up to date yourself? Or yeah. Is there, okay. So I built that whole website all myself too some oh years gosh. ago, and that took time, believe me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You wonder why people get paid what they do to yeah. keep these things together. Do a website sometime. You'll understand why people yeah. do get paid what they Lo do. Lots of uh, YouTube tutorials. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my tell gosh. You. Yes, indeed. 
You know, I knew of you as a clarinetist, playing occasionally with Eva and the Vagabond Tales, and so that said, I knew that you had a CD out, and I thought it was going to be a clarinet-based disc. And so I can't tell you how pleased I was. I actually I love the flute in the world of classical music and in the world of jazz. The flute is amongst my favorites. So with it kicking off with you on flute after just this brief piano lead-in, can I ask you just how many instruments you do play? And why don't you go ahead and include as well what you play at? My three mains are a saxophone, which is the one I started with, clarinet, and flute. Those are the ones I feel particularly strong about and comfortable about. You know, I did take piano lessons when I was a kid, so I play a little bit of piano. I've kind of recently, as a district recording, taken up oboe too the past mm. year, so I am working that up as well. There's a bunch of little, I guess you call it like whirlwinds too, such as like Bansuri, which is a wooden flute from India, and other stuff like Penny Whistle or Tin Whistle I okay. play as well. So I guess there's little winds. I played a little bit of guitar as well. Yeah, I guess that's mostly it. Wow, that's all. Okay, okay. You mentioned that you started with saxophone then, and I do understand the fingering is pretty much the same on the flute and very similar on the clarinet, at least in the upper register area. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm wondering when it was that you realized or did someone tell you, hey, the fingering's the same, why don't you try this? It's just change the armature. Sure. That was introduced by my saxophone teacher at the time, Rusty Higgins. He was an incredible teacher, incredible session musician who's recorded for the likes of like Michael Bublé and Barbara Streisand, mm. played with Frank Sinatra back in the 70s and 80s. So what he was telling me when I first started to study under him, he was telling me eventually at a point that he kind of knew I was pretty proficient at the instrument. And what he was saying, he's like, look, if you want to be a working musician, woodwind saxophone player here in town, you have to be able to, what they call double, Doubling. on clarinet and flute. He's like, the reason, if you want to get into this studio work and be able to play musicals and among other things, you should be a proficient doubler. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try. <laughs> I mean, I really want to do that work someday, so I might as well give it a try. So the first one I picked up was clarinet, mostly because I knew that was the harder one. I just kind of wanted okay. to get over with. Yeah, sure. So I did pick that up in high school. And eventually I kind of practiced it enough, too, where I got to play in the symphony orchestra in high school at cool. some point. And that was really great playing symphony orchestra and the big jazz big band in high school as well. And, oh, then, fun. I, and then I knew I had to start to take flute fairly seriously, too, because especially in musicals, there's a lot of pretty heavily involved flute parts as well. Mm. So I did start taking flute lessons around early college as well. But I should note, too, that this idea of, like, woodwind doubling, because it may seem kind of strange to people, like, how do you just learn all these instruments, you know? The idea of woodwind doubling is nothing exactly new, I would say. Right. The idea of woodwind doubling is something that is kind of a 20th century idea that really started with the swing bands in the 30s and 40s. Because mm, okay. most people who played saxophone started with clarinet because there was no school curriculum for saxophones. Like, if you were in school in the 30s, 40s, maybe in 50s, you would not have saxophone in band. And so it was mostly like a jazz thing. So most saxophone players play clarinet first, and then they would play saxophone so they can play jazz as well. Okay. And then the reason that the flute came, most people credit Henry Mancini to that because he was hmm. a flute player. So if people who have seen Peter Gunn, yeah. that was when Henry Mancini was saying some of the guys like, hey, can you play flute on this too? We're like a chamber orchestra here. So right. people started to pick up flute along with that as well. Wow.
Again, going to the liner notes, you'll read that the arrangements on all of these pieces, the arrangements are yours as well. So I'm curious if there was any exchange of ideas as you were making the arrangements, say with you and the pianist, for example, on how to lead in on one tune or another, or since you do have some piano keyboard background, did you already have this worked out and written the notes stacked up a certain way for the person to follow? I think the composition in and of itself was pretty well solidified by the time I got to my pianist about it. However, my pianist, Susanna Cervantes, she definitely gave some very good points to keep in mind. So for example, on something like My Hope and Despair, there were some parts in the middle of the song where I didn't really have very much going on as far as dynamics go and kind of, they call it like a pushing of pulling of time. Mm. So in other words, it's right in the middle. I don't know if you call it a B section or a bridge where you kind of hear this little pushing and pulling of time in the piece when the piano is just holding out the note too. Mm. So that was something that she recommended too to make it more interesting. Okay. So it would be little suggestions like that that would often be mentioned. Thanks for joining us here at KVCR for KVC Arts. I'm David Fleming. KVC Arts has just gone from being a one-hour show heard twice a week to a half-hour show heard three times a week with times of a bit more listenership. The new times are with shows premiering Sunday evenings at 6 and repeating Tuesdays at 2 and 6 p.m. Today I'm speaking with multi-instrumentalist Joe DiFiore about his release Out of the Woods, mostly classical in feel, though with elements of jazz continually coming in. There are things through and through on this disc where I'm not going so far as to say that you're really uh, experimenting going wild with time signatures like a Brubeck kind of thing, but you will have a tempo increase and then drop off or maybe uh, the reverse and then suddenly you get into this boom, 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 boom. This is how one of your pieces coming through starts off a very steady pace of notes Maybe at a clip of 180 beats per minute, maybe? Exactly exactly right. (laughs) Exactly. So this is another one of your compositions and the reason behind this one. It's kind of a workout piece. Yeah. Tell us about the commission behind this one. Sure. So this was by my friend Annika, who I actually went to college with. And she's an excellent clarinet player who's based in Colorado now, if I'm not mistaken. She's kind of moved around a lot. But yeah, so she has a project that she calls Training Groove. And so she is also a very avid runner as well, mm. as long as being a great clarinetist. So she wanted to find a way to kind of mix the two. And what she realized was that... Basically, what she wanted to do is kind of help the runners kind of reduce their risk of injury by providing a way to kind of safely run that's more steady. And one of them is by trying to find a steady tempo to run at. And what she kind of found in her studies is that a tempo of 180 beats per minute is the ideal tempo to run to. So what she did was she commissioned a few people that she knew pretty much all around the country to write pieces for this exact type of thing. And so I was trying to think of an idea, and though it's not related to running, my thought was like, well, I'm coming from Southern California. As far as I know, I'm the only writer from Southern California that she commissioned, so I wanted something to kind of represent that in a funny way. (laughs) So I sort of think of largely a BPM of 180 beats per minute, which is just like, it's pretty, it's, medium fast if not fast for sure three beats a second yes it's fairly quick 
so when I think of this kind of tempo of this fast, mm -hmm. it almost kind of is like anxiety inducing for me, to be honest with you. So the kind that kind of matched that is like when I'm driving in traffic. And so I was okay. like, and that's kind of where the title actually comes from, coming through. Oh, like, yeah? Coming through, like all oh. the cars and everything. And you can definitely tell by the bop, 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 bop. Yeah. And this melody, I sort of feel it as almost representing you being in the car and trying to get around oh, wow. uh, traffic as best as you can. So I kind of wanted to communicate that too. But it was also largely influenced. I'm a huge fan of Leonard Bernstein uh -huh. and especially of West Side Story in particular. Oh, sure, so sure. it was pretty largely influenced by that to where it has this kind of fast pace, sort of jazz-y, but not really jazz. Yeah. So that was kind of largely my inspiration of it. Okay. With the way some of these sounds and feels are interwoven with a lot of these pieces, are you a fan of Claude Bowling or Jean-Pierre Rampal, uh, the jazzical type yes, of people? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Both of them I'm big fans of. I've played a number of pieces by Claude Bowling, mm -hmm. too. Also a big fan of Jean-Pierre Rampal. Both are definitely some sort of inspiration, consciously or subconsciously, in sure. this album for sure. Okay, yeah. Well, now, speaking of crossover or uh, people doing this kind of stuff, on coming through, I believe this is also in the liner notes, you mentioned George Shearing mm -hmm. and the way the vibes go with his piano playing. So this, along with your statements on Aaron Copeland and on uh, Bernstein, there's also this jazz connection. Mm -hmm. With that having been said, is there any room for improvisation on pieces like this, like coming through, or, or maybe on anything else? Or is everything, once again, are all the notes that is stacked up with specific purpose? I think you can make it and certainly arrange it in such a way that there could be improvisation for sure. It wasn't something I was thinking initially, but I can certainly see a piece like coming through allow for some sort of improvisation in there too. I'm, I immediately think of like Eddie Daniels mm -hmm. and stuff like that too, where he certainly is taking classical, at least classical-ish pieces and have improvised around them. Yeah. So I can certainly see that being the case with coming through. Let's talk about piece concertante dance l'esprit jazz. The only French I speak is to say je ne parle pas français. I do not speak French. But this piece was something recommended to you when you were wrapping up your master's work, I think I read. I know your instructor recommended this piece to you, but did he say why this piece? I could tell you what I was thinking at the time, what okay. maybe he was thinking at the time, which is like, okay. hey, we need a good piece. It's a little more epic. That is really a very extensive kind of piece, but at the same time shows that you can be a legitimate classical player, but uh, also understand jazz too. 
So that's the kind of the way I sort of thought of it and partially why I wanted to take it on okay. too is because in my mind, it's kind of the perfect blend of jazz and classical. As you said, very Gershwin-y. It's just something that just felt right. It felt like something that I can do well with. Do you know if there's anything out there on this piece being heavily influenced by or borrowed heavily or a blatant ripoff of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue? The way it starts, that opening note, that climbing, and then even the little sneaking in of notes, that is so Rhapsody in Blue. It is, but I think you also have to think of what was going on at the time, too. This was written in the early 1940s. Yeah, about 20 years after. Exactly. So what was kind of going on that time was that there was a lot of borrowing between the jazz musicians in the U.S. of French music, and the Europeans would borrow a lot of the jazz music elements oh. from the Americans. So there's this kind of back and forth between the two. You could definitely hear that to some degree with Debussy. Well, you definitely get that with Aaron Copeland and a certain yeah. degree with the yeah. first one as well. Depending That's on right. The, yeah. So you definitely hear that with Copeland where essentially you see a lot of those composers like Debussy and Ravel kind of be, oh, I could use this harmony, but I'm just not going to call it a certain chord, like how certain <laughs> jazz musicians say, oh, this is a D7 flat nine or whatever. <laughs> okay. So it's no surprise to me that someone like a Paul Bunot would write something like this in particular. <laughs> okay. earlier about my hope and despair so let's talk about you as a generally optimistic person but then creating a piece called my hope and despair we touched on this earlier this mix of feelings so maybe we can go into this by looking at it this way talk about the layering of this piece not only the three and then the four notes motifs but then also the use of you got major chords stacked on top of suspended chords and Maybe we need to define that just a little bit as you go through these descriptions, but talk about how my hope and despair comes together and becomes something of my hope and despair. Sure. Well, it's really funny, too, because when you think of something like a suspended chord, it's kind of known as to be not particularly happy or particularly sad either. So what I find interesting, too, that I was kind of thinking through this is that despite the fact that it is my hope and despair, which are pretty direct words, yeah. I guess you could say, yeah. It's pretty ambiguous to a degree of what my music is because even on the My Hope piece, mm -hmm. there are still some parts that you wouldn't say make you feel super hopeful all the time, <laughs> right. you know, but to a degree with despair too, though maybe that's a little bit more concise in what it's communicating. The first one I wrote was My Hope. So as I okay. said, that motif, do -da, da, do -da, da I knew it was something I wanted at that tempo as well. But there was something that I feel like I wanted sort of this contrasting feeling too, where it's like this anxious sort of feeling, That's right. it, which is exactly when I wrote Despair. It was this, kind of like this feeling I get of like just, oh, like banging at the keyboard. <laughs> 
that's why you can kind of hear that in the opening piece too. Bop, 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 bop. It's almost like a cat like hit the keyboard in a oh, way. Oh, nice. You know? Wow. Again, that wasn't necessarily intentional, but it was just something I thought of too after I finished writing. So, mm -hmm. so I feel like I just wanted this sort of contrast of the piece. It just felt complete to me to have these two different movements of pieces mm -hmm. to really communicate my sort of feelings, I guess you could say. <laughs> final track on this disc, The Swan. This is really just one movement from a much longer piece. This is a uh, saison piece from the Carnival of Animals. That's right. I really love the reason that you decided to create your own arrangement of this piece. Tell us who you saw playing it and where it was. So this was five or six years ago that I saw Yo-Yo Ma play it Usually he's done it with just him and a pianist, mm -hmm. but this time I saw it when he was on The Late Show, actually, and instead of him having his own pianist, he actually joined with the house band of The Late Show, with Stephen Colbert, so they wanted to put their own spin on it, and it was this kind of like almost jazzy type of arrangement. I thought it was like so cool, and I was especially pretty blown away by this sort of harmony between the cello and the alto saxophone, too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to take a stab at that. I didn't exactly rip it off, but I did take elements that I liked of it. And I was really definitely blown away by the fact that cello and alto saxophone can blend so well. <laughs> and I definitely knew it was the case with Susanna Cervantes, who plays cellos, which I should note too, that she was actually the pianist for the first seven tracks of this one. Okay, wow. Same person. So she is also doubled on instrument like <laughs> I did too. So it was fun doing that. So she was on cello for this one and I was on alto saxophone. We pretty much have gone through, I think, each track on this disc. So I'm just touching lightly. But again, this is called Out of the Woods. This came out late June of 2020. It goes around in the world of classical or orchestral or chamber music. But also, these elements of jazz keep on creeping in. Where can a person find it? We mentioned your website, joedefiori.com. Where else? Pretty much anywhere you can find music. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Bandcamp, pretty much everywhere. You can even use it as a sound on TikTok too, for those who use it. <laughs> Beautiful, nice.
It's been Music and Conversation with Joe DiFiore for this edition of KVC Arts. Once again, Out of the Woods is available on vinyl and as a CD with this and much more at joedifiore.com. That's J-O-E-D-I-F-I-O-R-E dot com. Thanks again to Joe DiFiore and here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Sharina Wad. Music beds and themes heard on KVCR, it's composed and performed by Sean Longstreet, so thanks to Sean as well. A reminder once again that KVC Arts has just gone from being a one-hour show heard twice a week to a half-hour show heard three times a week with the new times being Sunday evenings at 6 and repeating Tuesdays at 2 and 6 p.m. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support.